The following is audio from The Refuge Church. Every sermon is an invitation to understand, obey, and enjoy God. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.us. Good morning, Refuge Church. I'm excited to be uh, here today. I want to thank the pastors, the elders, and you guys for giving me the opportunity uh, to speak uh, to you guys this morning. N.T. Wright, uh, who is a British theologian, is probably my uh, favorite uh, theologian uh, of all time. Uh, He was in America uh, doing a seminar on the Holy Spirit uh, one time, and he told a joke. It was a joke uh, that if you are British, you will get it. But then the people in the church laughed, which dazzled him. And so after the show, he asked the organizer, why did the people laugh? Did they get the joke? He was like, no, they laughed because they liked your accent. (laughs) So it doesn't take much to please you Americans. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, that was a cheap shot. As you can tell from my accent, I'm not from here. And I'm not an Nigerian prince either. <laughs> if you woke up this morning and got an email about some amount, it wasn't me. I know usually that's what most people associate Nigerians with. We have good ones uh, too. But I, I'm, I'm excited to share the story of uh, Zacchaeus with you guys, which we can find in Luke chapter 19 from verse 1 to 10. Right? This is a story that is familiar to most of us. We grew up listening to this story in Sunday school. And so I decided I will tell this story to the adults uh, to refresh uh, their minds about the story. But this is also an incredible story, right? Because Luke is the only one who records this story in the gospel. Because Luke's gospel is only concerned with the story of salvation, salvation for Jews and for Gentiles. But for Luke, salvation means God's acceptance and forgiveness of sinners, which picking up from Old Testament theme is expressed as good news to the poor. And who are these people? This usually uh, involves the economically poor, the crippled, the lame, uh, Samaritans, women, and wealthy tax collectors like Zacchaeus. And so Luke breaks up the story into four parts. In the first uh, part, you know, Zacchaeus positions himself to see Jesus, and then Jesus goes into the house of Zacchaeus, and then reactions from the people of Jericho, and then Zacchaeus' reaction, and finally, Jesus' pronouncement of Zacchaeus. And so here are the big questions you should be thinking about as we go through this story. So if you are a Christian here, how have you actively responded to the gospel? Right? And if you are a non-Christian, Is there any obstacle that is great enough from keeping you away from Jesus? And the big idea uh, uh, to this story is the gospel demands an active response from all of us. And I believe that there's nothing, nothing, you have no excuse, nothing that can stop you from uh, coming to Jesus. And so before we begin the story, uh, I just want to give you guys a cultural context in which... uh, this story takes place, right? The culture in which uh, uh, Luke is writing uh, this story is an honor and shame culture, right? I've been in America for close to 11 years, and this is not an honor and shame culture. 
grown up Nigerian, I live in an honor and shame culture, right? And, he, and here's a story to illustrate that. My grandfather was a first generation Christian. You know, my grandfather grew up in a Muslim family uh, from a respected, wealthy family. You know, but his auntie was a Christian, right? And he was always curious about what Christians believed. And so he would go to, to his aunt and, you know, she would share Bible stories with him. And he loved the stories, and eventually he decided to become a Christian, right? He became a Christian, was baptized, but he had to tell his family what he did. Now, mind you, he was the first son. Actually, he was the only son uh, in the family. And he told his parents what he did, and they thought it was a joke because that's something you cannot do. And so they told my grandfather, you have three days to recount, and that's all you have. And so on the third night, what happened was uh, his auntie and some men were able to help him escape because what will have happened was they will have killed him for becoming a Christian because he had brought shame to his family, right? As the first uh, male, as the male son of the family. That's something you cannot do. And so this is a culture in which uh, Luke is uh, writing this story. It's an honor and shame culture. All of your actions matter, right? They don't just matter. They have a negative impact on your family and everyone around you. And Zacchaeus is one of those people. He is a shameful uh, person because of his actions. And so, and we will find out in the story. And so let's start in uh, verse 1. Jesus entered Let's, let me actually read the whole story uh, for us. And so starting in verse 1, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him. Since Jesus was coming that way, when Zacchaeus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Sorry, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. What an incredible story. And so in verse 1, Luke starts with the story by telling us that Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. Because in the previous chapter, Jesus was already in Jericho. We know this because he healed a blind man. But now Jesus is passing through. Where is Jesus going? In the next few chapters, we know that Jesus is headed to Jerusalem, where he will eventually be crucified for our sins. And then in verse 2, a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was very wealthy. You know, the tax system in Rome worked differently uh, from what we used to. A tax collector is a person who purchases from the empire the rights of official taxes and dues and then collect this from the people who owe them. And so how it worked was, at the beginning of the year, the Roman Empire will decide this is the amount we want. 
right? And then all these tax collectors will give Rome all the money they wanted, and then the tax collector will tax the people to get their money back. That's how it worked. And so it was such a corrupt and unregulated system that the tax collectors were able to collect whatever amount they wanted, and Rome didn't really care about that. That is the person Zacchaeus is. But Luke tells us that Zacchaeus is not just a tax collector. He was a chief tax collector, right? He was the superintendent of all the tax collectors, which made him incredibly wealthy because he can do whatever uh, he wanted to do. He had more opportunities for uh, collecting wealth than the other tax collectors. This is the person Zacchaeus is. And then in verse 3 it tells us, and he wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. Why did Zacchaeus want to see who Jesus is? Here is a wealthy, sinful man who is considered an outcast in his society, but he wants to see who Jesus is? Did news reach him that Jesus healed a blind man in Jericho? Or did he hear about the other tax collectors Jesus hung out with in Galilee and actually went into their home and ate with them, something that you're not supposed to do? Did he hear about Jesus healing the lepers, the Samaritans, the prostitutes, the Gentiles, people that the religious leaders wouldn't hang out with, or you as a clean Jew wouldn't hang out with? Yes, he heard about those people. And Zacchaeus said, this is my chance to see Jesus. I have to see this guy because he will recognize me since nobody else is recognizing me, right? But Luke also, <laughs> Luke is so detailed that he tells us that he was short, he could not see Jesus. In other translations, uh, I think uh, the word was Zacchaeus was small in stature. Why, why will Luke tell, tell us about Zacchaeus' height? Yes, we're used to, yes, Zacchaeus was a short, little wee man, however you guys sing the song. You know, right? But, but it's more than that because the rhetorical tradition which Luke uses is familiar with his audience living in the Roman Empire in the first century. Luke and his audience are accustomed to associating physical features with inequalities. The physical description contained to some extent is a person's information. So when Luke says Zacchaeus is a man small in stature or is short, it's more than just the physical. In other words, Luke is saying Zacchaeus was a greedy man because his works, his job as a tax collector made him a greedy man, and so the people knew about that. And what did they do? They didn't want to let Zacchaeus uh, see who Jesus is. So in verse 4, so he ran and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Because Zacchaeus was greedy, nobody wanted to make way for him to see Jesus, so he had to take the extra step to see who Jesus was. And what did he do? He ran to climb a sycamore fig tree. A sycamore fig tree is a sturdy tree from 30 to 40 feet high with a short trunk and spreading branches, capable of holding a grown man. But is, isn't this weird? Here is a wealthy, tax, powerful man running to climb a tree. That doesn't sound like an action of an adult, is it? No, this is something children will do, right? And, and in, in Luke 18, verse 17, this is what Jesus said, Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Zacchaeus had to act like a child to see who Jesus is. I envy children. I wish I was one. Because they, they just don't care. Their faith is so incredible. 
right? My, my host brother Isaiah, he's into dino trucks. And sometimes I was just watching play in his head, and he would have these dino trucks and saying words of like, oh, I'm gonna come get you, Tuan Tuan. Uh, and I would just be looking at him like, are you okay? But he doesn't care, he's in his zone. That's what children are like. They don't really care about stuff. And Jesus is saying, to enter the kingdom of heaven, you have to act like a child. And that is what Zacchaeus is doing. But what about the crowd? Why are they hindering him from uh, seeing Jesus? Right? The crowd action doesn't change. Because when Jesus healed the blind man in chapter 18, the blind man uh, heard that Jesus was coming. And he started screaming, Jesus! And they're like, keep quiet. You don't deserve to see Jesus. But he kept screaming, and eventually Jesus recognized him. And even the story that Jesus told about the women bringing the, uh, their, little child, uh, their little children to Jesus, his disciples and other people tried to rebuke those moms from bringing their children to Jesus. Who does that? Who wouldn't allow cute little babies go to Jesus? Something wrong with that. But the crowd's action is consistent. They're always trying to rebuke people from coming to Jesus because they think some people don't deserve to see who Jesus is. And so they were a stumbling block uh, for Zacchaeus. But due to his persistence, he found a way. How are we as a church and Christians hindering people from coming to Jesus today? Uh, People usually think of Jesus as a loving, merciful, kind person, but they have an opposite picture of what Christians are. What has gone wrong there? How are we hindering people? Are we too judgmental? Are we so unloving? What are we doing that's wrong? People need to come to Jesus. How are we stopping them from coming to Jesus? But no, nothing was going to let Zacchaeus see Jesus because this was his chance. And then in verse 5, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Something doesn't add up about Uh, verse 5 because in verse 1 Jesus tells us that uh, Luke tells us that uh, Jesus is just passing through Jericho and now as Jesus is passing he just looks up and sees Zacchaeus and he says come down I'm going to follow you is that a coincidence no it's not Jesus came to Jericho for Zacchaeus remember Jesus is going to Jerusalem where he will be killed but he knows that there's somebody in Jericho who needs him. Somebody needs restoring. And so Jesus came to Jericho for Zacchaeus. Because everything Jesus does is intentional, right? The psalmist proclaimed, The eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him and on those who hope on his mercy. Zacchaeus needed mercy and Jesus was there to offer him. Jesus looked upon Zacchaeus because he was a small man. For the Lord is high and looks upon the lonely Psalms 137, verse 6. Jesus knew Zacchaeus needed him. And he said, I'm coming for you. But what about the urgency, right? Because Jesus said, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Luke tells us that Jesus is passing through, and because his death awaits him in Jerusalem, he will not pass through Jericho again. And so Jesus had to do it now. And then by inviting himself into Zacchaeus' home, it was an extension of grace 
an affirmation and recognition of Zacchaeus. I see you. Nobody sees you because you don't matter. You're an outcast, but I see you. You matter to me, and I'm here for you. Is there anyone who thinks that they don't matter to Jesus? You matter to him the most. He came and died for you. And how did Zacchaeus respond? He came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Right? In uh, verse 6. And then in verse 7, all the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Jesus doesn't like following rules. Jesus it wasn't like the other uh, religious leaders. He was God. He was perfect and holy. He had every reason to stay away from sinners, but he didn't. And it drove the people crazy. Right? And so in Luke chapter uh, 7, 36 to 50, uh, Luke tells us a story of a Pharisee inviting Jesus into his home. But then a sinful woman uh, heard about Jesus being in that home, and she came, right? And so she came with an alabaster jar of perfume, and as she stood behind him at his feet, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. And this is what the Pharisee said when he saw this. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he will know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. This woman doesn't belong here. She is a sinner. But it doesn't matter to Jesus. Because clearly, Jesus didn't view his hanging out with sinners as fun or just hanging out with them. You don't go to the doctor if nothing is wrong with you. Do you just go to the doctor because you're bored and you're like, ah, dog, I just want to hang out. Can you find something that's wrong with me so I can spend a lot of money and all of that? Nobody does that in their right mind, right? And no doctor goes to the hospital saying, I'm just going to hang out with, uh, with people today. No, doctors go to the hospital to heal people. And so everything Jesus does is intentional. And Luke Gospel tells us that Jesus' mission is for the poor. And this is... Jesus is doing what he was called to do, but the people didn't get it. The crowd, they don't get it. And that's why they're always trying to hinder people from seeing Jesus. But they also had a problem with tax collectors, right? Because tax collectors were regarded as outcasts in a Jewish society and were portrayed in a very negative light. One of the worst prayers in Scripture is found in Luke chapter 18, verse 11. And the Pharisee prays, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even tax collectors. It's like me going to church and saying, God, I thank you that I'm not like this gay person because I sin different than them. I'm better. My sin is more tolerable. Theirs is not. That is basically what this tax collector is doing. That is a terrible prayer, and I hope that none of us will ever say uh, that prayer. But why were the tax collectors treated like outcasts? I mean, the first obvious reason is because of their exploitation and corruption, right? But also, it was because of their involvement in the Roman Empire, which was seen as a betrayal of their own people. They took a lot of money away from their people, so of course their people wouldn't like them. And then secondly, from a social perspective, they were viewed impure because they entered the homes of unclean people, touched unclean money and, obj and objects. Because for Jews, they had to remain clean wherever they were. And tax collectors weren't clean people. 
because of where they were going and all the money that they were dealing with. So no, Zacchaeus wasn't allowed to see Jesus because he was a terrible sinner and unclean. But that didn't matter to Jesus. Jesus didn't care about the exploitation. Zacchaeus mattered to Jesus just like you matter to Jesus. And how does uh, Jesus respond to Zacchaeus? In verse 8, But Zacchaeus stood up and said, Lord, Lord, here and now I give half of my possession to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. It was interesting because when Zacchaeus was on the tree, he knew who he was. He couldn't even say anything. It was Jesus who had to initiate the conversation. And because Jesus showed him that incredible act of grace, He's given back four times what he's cheated anyone. Because repentance for Zacchaeus means restoring what was wrongfully taken. And did you notice that the repentance was immediate? Jesus showed him an act of grace and Zacchaeus changed right there. Right? And giving back four times uh, what he had cheated was a law because in Exodus 22 verse 1, God decreed that a stolen ox was to be restored fivefold and a sheep fourfold. So Zacchaeus knew the law. He was willing to do the right thing, but he was just waiting for somebody to give him the chance to. And finally, he's doing it. But also, Luke tells us that Zacchaeus gave half of his money away. Do you know how big this is? for a rich man to give half of his money away? I haven't met anyone who's done that. Because in chapter 18, Jesus tells us about a religious leader who comes to Jesus with his incredible resume and asks the question, Lord, what do I, do to, what do I have to do to inherit the kingdom of heaven? Right? And he brags about all of this thing that he's done. And Jesus said, well, you haven't done one thing yet. Sell everything you have and follow me. And he said, no, it's never going to happen because I have a lot of money, right? That is such a huge contract because here is a religious leader who knows the law, who thinks he's a good person, not willing to give half of his money. But here is a sinner, an outcast, willing to give his money away for Jesus. What an incredible repentance. And then in verse 9, Jesus said to him, Salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. It is interesting that Jesus never for once said, Zacchaeus, your sins have been forgiven. Because in other passages where, we, where Jesus is hanging out with other sinners, right, he would usually say, go, your faith has healed you or your sins have, have been uh, forgiven. But Jesus didn't say that once here. Why? Because Jesus did not have to confront Zacchaeus with his sins, for he knew Zacchaeus was willing to do the right things to gain favor with God. Instead, Jesus blessed Zacchaeus with God's greatest gift, salvation. Jesus knew that Zacchaeus was, will, be, will respond to his act of kindness right there. And Jesus blessed him with God's greatest gift. Because in 2 Corinthians 6 verse 2, I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Because in Luke's gospel, the word today often heightens the immediacy of salvation, which becomes effective with Jesus. And that's what Jesus said. Today you have salvation. Because when Jesus comes to you, he offers you salvation right there. And that is the kind of God we serve. 
And then in verse 10, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus was reminding the people, this is my mission. This is why I'm here for. I'm here for the poor. Right? This is an incredible story, and the question you should be asking is, how does it apply to me? What then? What shall I do with this story? Right? If you're a Christian here, you know, the gospel has to demand a response from you, right? God didn't save you from your sins, so you can just keep it all to yourself and read your Bible and go to church and try and, and do new things. It's all about you. No, that's not the gospel. You're actually abusing the grace of the gospel. The gospel demands an active response, right? And if, Jesus, if Luke tells us that Jesus' mission is for the poor, shouldn't that be our mission? And for Luke, you don't have to be economic, economically poor to be poor, right? Because Zacchaeus was a wealthy man, but he was poor. Because he was an outcast, he didn't belong. And so what does the gospel look like for we believers, right? Thank God for people like Dave Federick who saw a need in the community and addressed it, right? Thank God for Christian organizations like Samaritan Purse and COT and World Concern who are saying, there are the poor amongst us and we will do something about it. How can you as an individual be there for the poor? What are things that you can do? Is there somebody who feels like they don't belong? What are you doing to make that person belong? Because that person matters to Jesus, right? God takes side, right? Because Jesus will always be on the side of the rich than the poor. Jesus will always be on the side of the outcasts, the marginalized. Jesus is always on the side of the weak. And those are the people that we should be advocating for. Those are the people that the gospel calls us uh, to be there for. And if we will be obedient to the gospel, those are the things that we have to be doing, right? Because in Matthew, in Matthew 25, uh, verse 41 to 45, then he will say to those on the left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the internal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And he will reply, truly I say to you, whatever you did not do for one of, the least, one of these least ones, you did not do for me. I pray that we won't be these people. Instead, we will respond to the gospel the way Jesus calls us to. Because Jesus cares about those people. Therefore, we must care for those people too. And if you're a non-believer, the question you should be asking is, do I belong? Yes, you do. right? But also, you have no excuse Nothing should stop you from coming to Jesus, right? Because usually people outside the church will say, oh, Christians are so hateful and judgmental and I don't want to deal with them, so I don't want to come to the church. Zacchaeus' story is a great example of somebody who defied all the odds. He had all the obstacles in his way, but he was so determined to see Jesus, right? So for the non-Christian here, sometimes you have to go over the church and over Christians to go to Jesus. And Zacchaeus is a good example of that. Right? Saint Bonaventure, who was a 12th century Italian theologian and philosopher, said this about Zacchaeus. 
Now Zacchaeus' eagerness is commendable from three angles. It attracts and draws, it casts aside obstacles, it arrives at its goal, for it is the nature of genuine eagerness which draws the soul to Jesus, which draws the soul to Jesus, that even if obstacles are thrown in its way, its desires is not broken, but is, the, but is more enkindled, right? The more they were trying to stop him from seeing Jesus, the more he was determined to see Jesus. And that is good news for you. You have no excuse. You can go to Jesus. Because G- what Jesus did for us, what Jesus did for you, a believer, and, all, and, me, and anyone who is a non-believer, is too good of a news to pass. Right? Dying on the cross for our sin. A few weeks ago, Dave uh, preached uh, about the cross, about it being foolishness to those who are perishing, right? And remember when Jesus went into the home of Zacchaeus, which he wasn't supposed to, but he did anyway, the conversation shifted away from Zacchaeus, right? It now became about Jesus going into the sinner's home, right? Because Jesus knew that in order to save Zacchaeus, he had to take Zacchaeus' shame upon himself so that Zacchaeus can be like Jesus. That is the gospel. That is what Jesus did for us. He took away our shame and our sin upon himself so that we can be made right with God. That is too good of a news to reject. You have no excuse uh, not to go to Jesus. And if there's any encouragement I can leave you with, it's from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 to 2. And it reads, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. Refuge Church, we are called to respond uh, to this. Jesus died and, and saved us from our sin, and that is the greatest gift that anyone can give to us. But well, what are you going to do with that gift? Are you going to keep it to yourself? No. Be like Zacchaeus. He repented and acted upon it. And that's what Jesus uh, calls us to do. So let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. Uh, thank you for the cross. Thank you for saving us. Jesus, thank you that you love every one of us. And is there somebody in here who thinks that they don't belong? Jesus, I pray that this story will tell them that they belong. You died for people like them. You care so much for them that you had to come to save Zacchaeus before you went to the cross because everyone matters to you. And I pray that we can actively respond to this good news that we have. Thank you for this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.